Today with Catherine Ruinala. I felt the Holy Spirit just want to encourage us. And there was a scripture in worship that I felt the Lord put on my heart. It's from Psalm 31. I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. It says here in verse 8, You have kept me from being conquered by my enemy. You broke open the way to bring me to freedom, into a beautiful, broad place. Other versions would say, you set my feet in a broad place. I believe the Lord has set our feet in a broad place and He is looking for us right now to be ready to expand to the right and to the left, to enlarge our capacity like a new wineskin getting ready for new wine. A new wineskin isn't old and hard and set in its ways. A new wineskin is flexible and ready to stretch, ready to move, ready to be enlarged. And I can feel the Holy Spirit doing that in our hearts. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly above all we can ask, hope or imagine. But for we need a new wineskin for new wine. And we need a new identity for the next season. That is... Many of us, many people have found themselves identifying themselves by their last season, perhaps by their last assignment, by their last pain, by their last difficulty, or even what they've been doing. And the Lord wants to cause you to be flexible enough to no longer be identified by that, but to be able to be ready to take on the new thing that he's saying so that you can step into it. Last week I shared about the Israelites and how the Lord was wanting to bring them into a broad place. He was wanting to bring them into the promised land flowing with milk and honey. He even let them see it and taste it sent the 12 spies in. They came back with huge bunches of grapes and testimonies of how it's a a land flowing with milk and honey. But 10 of the 12 came back saying, it's really amazing, but we couldn't possibly take it. There's giants in the land. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. And sadly, because they still identified by their past season, which was the season of serving as slaves, the the season of feeling like they were nothing, that they were little, that they were powerless, still had an identity in in their minds. And as a result, they were like grasshoppers in their own sight. And it hindered their ability to step into the new identity God had given them as overcomers, as the children of God, as the ones who had a promise and God who was for them would make a way where there seemed no way. God was ready to bring them in to do something new and something glorious, but their limited thinking capped their ability to inherit the promise. I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to challenge our mindsets. He's wanting to challenge us to begin to recognize that God is God and He can do anything. And if He's put a promise in your heart to be careful not to say like Jeremiah, oh, I'm so young. Oh, how could I possibly? Or I'm too old. 
When Jeremiah complained to the Lord, I'm so young, how can I do this? I'm so young. The Lord said, don't say you're too young. And the Lord is looking for us to be determined not to say I'm too young or I'm too old or I'm not this or I'm not that, but to put aside the identities that perhaps you've put on yourself from your past season or assignment or the identities people have placed on you and start to come to stand in the presence of God and hear what the Lord says about you. You know, my one of my most significant revelations that the Lord has given me is this revelation of being able to to come before the Father and know that He is for me, that He's not against me. That Psalm 56, I call to you for a Father's help. And, And the moment, the very moment I call, you send a Father's help and my enemies scatter. And I declare and remember, my God is for me. He is on my side. The very moment I say, Father, I don't say it like an orphan hoping that someone will hear me. I can approach him with the same confidence the disciples saw Jesus approaching the Father with. Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know that you'll always hear me, but for their sake, I'm saying this out loud. Jesus was saying it because he wanted everybody to know that the relationship they saw him having, that confidence that he could talk to the Lord, knowing that his father heard him, knowing that he had what he asked for, is the same confidence that you and I are invited into. When the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. They were wanting to have that relationship that they saw him having with the Father. He had this confidence that that standing before a a dead man's tomb, who'd been dead for four days, Jesus would stand there and go, Father, the very moment that he called on the Father's name, the tide of battle turned, a great miracle would happen. They saw him going and spending time in prayer and coming back all refreshed and strengthened. They, t- they saw him talking to the Father with just without fear, with this holy confidence that knew his Father was for him. And they said, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to connect with God like that. Teach us how to pray. We know the words, the Psalms, we, we speak the, the things, but we need to, to have that eye contact you seem to have. So he said, all right, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, as in my Father and your Father. The same confidence that I have and that you see me approaching the Father with is now the confidence you can approach him with. And the moment I say, our Father, I'm not saying it with a feeling that I'm diluting his attention, but I'm saying it that it's a reminder to me, my Father and Jesus' Father. Our Father. And the moment I call for a Father's help, the tide of battle turns. And in that place, as we intentionally go there every day, the Father wants to speak truth to us. He wants to help us recognize that we are not defined by the things that have happened to us, by the confines of the past season. My old youth pastor would we went to Brazil on a missionary trip with all the youth group and, and 
he preached this sermon probably 16 times in different places. So we heard this story a lot of times. But he'd tell the story of a circus bear that would, was kept all its life in a cage, about three metres by, you know, just three metres long. And the bear would go three metres this way and three metres that way. And finally one day um, some activists managed to secure the bear's release and they had this big release program. They got the bear, they put the bear in the forest and they opened the cage and they let it out and then they watched to see what would happen. And they watched the bear and the bear walked three metres this way and turned around and walked three metres this way and turned around and walked three metres this way because even though the bars were gone, the mentality was still there that he was still a captive. You see, we so often can maintain a mentality that God says is no longer relevant to you. God is looking for us to have a new mindset. This is what happened to the Israelites. They were slaves so long that when God wanted to release them, they still held on to that old mindset. But God, the way we change that is not is not by trying to intellectually do it, but by looking into the face of the one who says, I have made you free. Looking into the face of the one who says, I have anointed you. I have called you. I believe the Spirit of God is wanting to encourage us and speak to us. And he wants us to know that he's chosen us. He's chosen us, each one of us, to do good works. He's got callings and purposes and plans for every one of us. I was looking at um, 1 Samuel chapter 16 today. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's, we're going to start at verse 6. And it's the story of when David was being anointed and called to be king. They had all the brothers, Samuel went and the Lord told him, go to Jesse's house and, and anoint the next king. So he went to Jesse's house and he told Jesse, bring me all your sons. And so Jesse brought all his sons, except not David. David was the youngest son. Some scholars say that it's possible that David was not brought because he might have been the son of a handmaid in the house, that he wasn't considered one of the real family. And so Jesse brought the ones that he thought were worthy and David was out in the field. And, and we're going to pick it up here in verse 6. It says this, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, and Eliab was the eldest, the most handsome, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Because Eliab looked like the logical choice. On merit, he was the eldest. He was the tallest, the handsomest. He had the one with the most experience. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And and, and so on and so on. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord's not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are, are all the young men here? 
And Jesse said, well, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send him and bring him, send and bring him, for we'll not sit down till he comes. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. David was rejected, basically, by his natural father. His father didn't see potential in David. It didn't seem to make sense on a merit system. It didn't seem to make sense in, in the culture of the day. And, you know, many of us can deal with rejection. But what happens when, we, when we're rejected is so important. We've got to be intentional not to allow the rejection of family and friends and leaders to define us because if we do that it will confine us so Jesse it was beautiful when Samuel came and he anointed him in front of all his brothers he honored him in a way that didn't make sense in the natural it didn't make sense in the natural realm but that honor shifted something in David's mentality. From that day, well, the prophet has said this about me. You know, for us today, Samuel was speaking for God because in those days, people couldn't just approach the Lord. It, it, under the old covenant, they had prophets who would speak for the Lord. But today, we can boldly approach the throne of grace and God himself wants to speak value over us. When your mother and father reject you, Psalm 27 says, I will take care of you. There are some that are rejected by parents. There are some that are rejected by family and friends and leaders who just allow that rejection to cripple them and, and they become victims or they become bitter. Or, but then there's some others that go, okay, God, even if my mother and father forsake me, you will take care of me. These are the words of David. Let's have a look at it in Psalm 27. It's just such a beautiful psalm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. One of my favorites that I quote a lot. Hallelujah. I'm going to read it from the New King James. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, this will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Oh, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Skipping down to verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my face said to you, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. And then he comes down to verse 10. When my father and mother forsake me, 
then the Lord will take care of me. You know, I believe that God delights so often to use the weak and foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So often the Lord takes those that have been rejected and he turns them into mighty men and women of God. And I've watched it in my own life. I was so crippled by rejection, fear and insecurity. And I, I knew that God was speaking to me about ministry, but anybody who knew me would have thought, never. This one is so needy and so insecure. And, and if I had known me back then, I probably wouldn't have seen what God saw. I don't want you to be able to say it's because of them that I was successful. But I want you to know that promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It comes from the Lord. That the favour of the Lord is all that you need. And if you fix your eyes there and stop worrying about everybody else needing to, to do stuff for you and instead say, what can I do for you, Lord? The Lord will begin to confirm and affirm your identity in Him. And that will help birth the things that He's put in your heart. You know, the gifts and the callings of God are not merit-based either. Some people have this idea that, if, well, if I do this for this many years, then I'll get promoted. If I do this, then this will happen. I went to Bible college and I, I'm so grateful we have the academy here. It's magnificent. I encourage you to do the academy if you haven't. But I went to Bible college for a couple of years and I was, I was going to go on and do another degree and more. And, and one day the Lord said, why are you doing that? And I said, because I want to serve you, God. I'm called to the ministry. And, and I have to do that so that I can do And he goes, really? So that's, that's what you're looking to to make the way for you. Is it? I went, oh. It wasn't the study was bad. It was simply that I was putting my faith in a, in a system that if I do this, then I'll get that. When I was a teacher, I went to college and then I got my degree and then I became a teacher. So I had the same mentality with ministry. If I go this, do this, then I'll get this and then I'll be this. But the funny thing is that God doesn't choose based on our works or on merit. He doesn't go, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promote this one because they've served for 15 years. He, he'll go, this one who's been saved six weeks, I'm going to give a word to them about what I'm going to do in, the, in their life. Or I'm going to promote this one who's only been saved a few years. And, and sometimes people can go, I don't understand that. Why, is, why are you letting that happen? But we don't, we don't know and we don't see what the Lord sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. People look at me sometimes and they think, well, why has God done that for her? I mean, oh, she's just had it easy her whole life. And they, that's what they assume. Oh, she's just got it easy. That's because of this or because of that. That's just, this has happened for her. And other people, they say, well, it happens for her. It can happen for me. And they'll ring me up and say, can you help me? And um, I, had, I had some friends who just got up and went to America because they said, well, if God can give Catherine favour in America, he can give me favour. And they went over there and they called me halfway through their trip saying, please, can you help me get some more people to minister for? And I did my best, but nothing really happened for them. 
because they weren't called to do that. And I can do my best to try to promote somebody, but if God hasn't called them, then it's not going to happen. You see, we need to find our lane. We need to find the call that God's got on our life, the assignment that God has got for us, and not compare ourselves to everybody else. Sometimes people think, well, if I really love God, then I must be called to the pulpit. When in fact, only about 2% of the body are called to a pulpit ministry. It's the saints who are the glorious ones that are called to do the work of the ministry and glorify God in the world. Hallelujah. We just get to equip you. But whatever it is God's put in your heart, you've got to decide it for yourself. I so wanted someone to prophesy over me when the Lord started to speak to me about ministry. Oh, oh, I just need a word, God. If you can get the prophet to call it out over my life in front of the pastor, then we can get this show on the road, you know? I I mean, and I talked to God about it all. I was like, we rarely ever had prophetic people come to church. And we had an American coming, a prophet. And I was like, oh, as a conference. All right, this God, right. You know how you've been talking to me about all the fireballs going out over crowds and people getting healed and preaching to the nations and stadiums. God, you know, I'm a woman. I'm a housewife. I, I really need you. I need you to have that prophet call me out publicly so the pastor can hear it and we can really get this show happening. And I... And I scripturally backed it up. I'm like, you led the Israelites with a pillar of cloud and fire. You gave, um, you gave Gideon the, the sheepskin. You did all of that. God, you got to do that for me. I need that because I'm a woman, special case. And then, so the prophet came and he's calling out all these different people. I'm like, come on, God, come on, God. And he didn't pick me. Oh, so devastated. So I went back the next night. I'm like, right. After I have no idea what he preached because I was just waiting for the ministry time, you know. <laughs> Come on, give it to me, God. I need this. You know I need this. If you don't do this, I said to him, I'm going to put all of this down to my own imagination. <laughs> so seriously, if you really want this, you need to do that. And he picked this one, this one, this one. And he didn't pick me. So I went forward on the altar, like, this is not the plan. Like, we're supposed to have the pastor hear the word and waiting for the word. And he comes along and praying for all these people, all these prophetic words, gets to me and says, trust God, sister. And I just burst into tears. I'm like, why have you forsaken me? Have you forgotten me? God, don't you care? Nobody cares about me. God, I thought at least you would care. God, how come you're doing this? And I was sobbing, so he got his offsider to come. Like, my friends felt sorry for me, so they went and asked his armor bearer to come and pray for me. So he prayed for me, saw this sobbing woman, and said, I feel like your husband needs to take you on a holiday. <laughs> I cried some more, and he said, I feel like it needs to be like a good long holiday. <laughs> oh, so upset. Oh, so upset, I tell you. I went home and I just threw myself on the bed. I'm a little dramatic, hallelujah. And I threw open my Bible. I said, speak to me, God. And I opened my Bible. I, I don't encourage you to do Russian roulette with the Bible. Just 
but I did. And I happened to open up in the book of Luke. And it said there, it was the story of Simeon. And the Lord had spoken to Simeon. It said, said that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon's heart that he would see the Messiah before he died. Then led by the Holy Spirit, he was led into the temple courts and he saw the child and he gave thanks to God. And as soon as I saw that verse, my heart was broken. I went, oh God, this man believed you simply because the Holy Spirit revealed it to his heart. Lord, I was saying to you, I'm not going to believe it unless a prophet tells me. I'm not going to believe it unless some man or woman calls me out. And I'm so sorry, God. Your Holy Spirit has revealed to my heart that I'm called to preach the gospel and go to the nations. Even if no one ever prophesies it, I choose to believe it, Lord. And, you know, after that, the Lord just began to speak to me, promises, things. And my relationship with him got so deep and so beautiful. And over the years, then people would pull me up out of the crowd and they'd say, you there, you're called to go to the nations, preach the gospel, heal the sick. And I'd go, yeah, I know. Not arrogant, but it was a confirmation, but not what I, wasn't what I needed. You see, if I had, if I had, God had done what I, what I believed I needed, then every decision I had to make from that point on, I would have put into the hands of other people's obedience. 